0: From World Renew, the Office of Social Justice, and the Center for Public Dialogue of the Christian Reformed Church of North America, this is the Do Justice Podcast. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Do Justice. My name is Chris Orm. I'm your host. And today, I'm super excited to have uh, the one and only Susan Van Lopik with us. Susan is, uh, well, she's with World Renew. She's my colleague from World Renew. Uh, She is the Director of Program Excellence. And uh, there are some other biographical, uh, interesting little tidbits that I'll let Susan share. I do want to get to the tattoos, Susan, if that's okay. But uh, let's just uh, take a minute and just welcome Susan. Welcome. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for the invitation. It's wonderful to be here with you.
0: Yeah, we're excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you do. I mentioned program excellence, you're the director, and I did uh, I did give a shout out to the Inc. as well, but yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive in here.
1: Okay, yeah, well, uh, I am part of World Renew, which is an international ministry with roots in the Christian Reformed Church, and that ministry focuses on transformative change uh, to renew hope. Um, we work to shine light for justice through amplifying the voices and power of people, local people in their communities. We do that through bearing witness, which is an important part of our ministry. We also believe in accountability. That's very important to World Renew. And so we are accountable for the commitments that we have made to local communities and people as well. And um, we do that through programs of excellence both in disaster response and long-term community development. Hmm. And that's where our our team program excellence gets its name. I work with uh, 10 very talented people, uh, all of whom support the success of our worldwide programs across um, all of our programs and countries. Uh, Personally, I have been with World Renew over 30 years, and I have a specific call in the area of um, supporting our programs and communities through the area of justice. Mm. Um, Justice is an integral part of everything that we do. And yet it has been uh, a struggle for us sometimes to actually live into that work uh, throughout our programs worldwide. Mm. But it's important call for me, it's an important call for World Renew, it's an important call for the churches and the partners with whom we work and the communities as well. And when we work with this, uh, it really requires transformative courage. Hmm. And that's what I'd like to kind of talk about today too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I, so I've been a fan of yours, uh, (laughs) since I first met you and, uh, that was about three and a half years ago. It was at the AGM. For those of you who don't know, AGM stands for annual general meeting. I had just started with world renew. I was in my first week and you know, World Renew, our colors are are uh, the green and purple. I like to say I, I bleed green and purple. But when I first started, it was like trying to take a sip from a fire hydrant. You know, there was so much information coming at me, and I I went to this. I went to this uh, uh workshop, this breakout session at our AGM that 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 you were co-facilitating on on gender justice. And and ever since then, I've just been a huge fan of yours. I appreciate the work that you do. I appreciate your voice. Um, yeah, and I consider you to be someone who was really formative um in my kind of integration into the world renew world. So I thank you for that. But my I wanna start. And and go back to the beginning. Um, how did you get involved in this work? Uh, because it's 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 a big world and it's big work. How did you how did you get into it?
1: Well, I think initially, perhaps it goes right back to the fact that I'm the youngest child in my family, and I was uh, significantly younger than my brother and sister, and so I was always fighting for airtime and fighting for my own personal justice and space. Maybe, maybe just the beginnings of that uh, somehow have gone through the rest of my career. Uh, Before I joined with World Renew, I worked with people with disabilities. And um, I guess I've always thought of myself as a, a people developer within the system of understanding that there are a lot of things that are working against people. Uh, my husband and I started in Central America um, with CRWC at the time, and that, of course, was a transformative experience. Uh, we worked in El Salvador during the war, and uh, I tell you that was a certainly a baptism in of in fire for the work of justice. To understand exactly what is what happens in societies and how evil can be so pervasive and keep people oppressed, and when. We were leaving our work uh, there and we were moving back to North America. My husband went on for his PhD. Um, The partners there gave us a call and particularly me, a call and asked me to go back and serve as their missionary to North Americans that we had come as missionaries uh, from North America to Central America and that we should go back as missionaries to the church to let people know about the injustice they were experiencing and to work with the church uh, to respond to that. And Mm -hmm. I took that very seriously. And uh, then when I joined um, the home office work, first as a church educator, again, uh, with uh, CRBC at the time, Mm -hmm. that has been um, a mantle that I accepted and one that I've been working on now for all these years.
0: Wow. Yeah. So quite the journey, (laughs) quite the journey Um, in preparation for our time together. We uh, our, our our crack team of researchers dug into the archives and we found this really powerful quote in a report to Synod. It says this, it says, In many other ministry efforts, both overseas and at home, it became clear that if our ministry to the poor and hungry was to have integrity, if we really believed what we said we believed, we would have to go deeper and deal with ethical, moral, and systemic issues underlying much of the poverty and hunger, the misery and pain in God's world. Now the report goes on to mention World Renew's work in Sierra Leone, um, can you tell us some of the stories around how how people came to understand advocacy as necessary support for the development work of World Renew?
1: First and foremost, maybe it starts with the 1978 World Hunger Report. And that report, uh, if you ever get a chance to go back into the history books and read uh, that report, you will see how strongly it comes out in the fact that to make a real difference in the world, in the areas that Christians are called to it really requires to be looking at unjust systems and structures mm. and to advocate for justice for people. And so that report is just filled with quotes, one after another, about the importance of paying attention to structures and systems. Then if you want to specifically look at what happened at Sierra Leone, as a result of the 1978 World Hunger Report, part of that was a declaration that we would choose one country in the world where we would put significant resources. And at that time, it was combined resources with what was called World Missions, which is now Resonate, and Sierra Leone, which is World Renew. And we would concentrate on one country. And so we chose Sierra Leone. Uh, this is before my time, so I'm quoting history here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, But anyway, we chose Sierra Leone. And we made lots of investment in that country human resources financial resources uh tons of work went into our work there uh both from north america and then of course from local people uh christians working there in in sierra leone in their mm. own communities and then a war came of civil disturbance i don't i, I guess you uh, because it was the you know, I'm not sure how to call it. It wasn't exactly a war war, as in a civil war, mm-hmm. but it was an economic war on the country. by. It was basically a terrorism kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, and what happened is that everything that was part of, because that was part of the blood diamonds thing. So the Unigot, you get got this whole world economic structure and, and um, greed all in, wrapped up into all of this and all of our investments were just crashed in terms of our assets were destroyed people you know all of the things related to the programming were destroyed the communities were scattered yeah, just the stories that came out of the terror that people experienced uh, during that time is just um it was just terrible mm. and um so that was an excellent example I would say of how you can make a lot of financial commitment into something, but if you are not looking at the fuller picture, you will not be able to really make the sustained um, difference that we're really looking for. Mm. Rwanda is another example of of that, really. You know, just before the genocide in Rwanda hit the news throughout the world, um, the reports coming out of Rwanda to all of the government, the UN, et cetera, was that everything is great here. People are learning how to read agricultural outputs are great. Everything is great. But, you know, the thing is, is that they were looking at a small section of achievement within that program. Those things, they were not paying attention to the larger societal things that were happening and the things that were being said, uh, and the fomenting, of this hate that was um, starting to bubble up. Mm. And then all of a sudden the world wakes up and there's a genocide and people are like, well, how did that happen? Well, it happens because sometimes we narrow our look at the world and don't take into uh, account the big picture Mm. and where it is that we need to be paying attention. And I would say that that report in 1978 as well as the subsequent report in 1993 coming out of the Christian Reformed Church Synod really calls us to be paying attention to those really big picture things that if we really are going to do the work that we've been called to for justice as Christian people, then we really have to be looking at those big pictures, systemic structural things that um, are part of systemic evil.
0: I think you know when we think of Sierra Leone, we think of Rwanda. There wasn't a lot of uh this might be an oversimplification so please correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here but it it seemed like everyone was sort of like okay, we're in agreement, we need to do something. Mm-hmm. It, it, it there there was there was there was movement. And so when it came to advocacy, you know, it was there were sort of clear on-ramps and onboarding for people to get involved and the issues seemed, seemed kind of clear. Um, so at that time, you know, we were able to come together. We were able to come, you know, uh, in agreement that, that Christians should engage in politics, that Christians should engage in advocacy. Uh, it's part of loving our neighbor. Um, since this time, we've seemed to have gotten more polarized. And some people would even say, hey, we shouldn't be so focused on justice. We should only focus on the gospel. Given the stories that we've heard, given the experiences that you've had, how would you respond to that?
1: Well, first I'll take a quote out of the 78 report that says that it is precisely our allegiance to Jesus Christ that moves us to show compassion to the hungry and to promote justice through effective social structures Hmm. systemic evil calls for systemic reformation that comes directly out of that report. But what I'd like to also say is, is that if at least in the, time that I've worked with the denomination and the churches. If you look through the years of statements of synod and um, World Renew Board, etc., that you see an ebb and flow. There's always been a call to do justice. And then there's been a bit of a sinking back and then a reminder to do justice. And the 1993 report, you know, the one that was called Freedom to Serve or or the Second World Hunger Report. Um, that one actually said, you know, the reason they were called into being again in 1993 because of the sense that things had ebbed away and that there was a loss of interest in world hunger. And it says, gradually implementation of the 1978 task force's recommendations began to flounder. And our church's interest in the issues of world hunger the needs of the poor and the causes of poverty diminished. And this became manifest. And this is an interesting question that I think we should explore. So, this is what they said in 1993 mm. this became manifest through declining study and discussion of hunger and poverty issues, less direct involvement with the poor, increasingly consumptive lifestyles, and a lower level of giving. But, you know, I think we could ask ourselves this question today. Because I feel that, yeah, also we have this, it's ebbed again. Um, What is it that we see today? How does that perhaps look differently? So in 1993, they said there was declining study and discussion and, you know, all these other symptoms. And I wonder, well, what does that symptom look like today? Again, in 1993, they were called to, you know, the calling of the report in 1993 was, to call the church to be re-energized and re-committed and re-motivated and re captivated And so, you know, to me, I think this is an interesting thing. If we see that the work of justice is this thing that comes and goes and comes, what, uh, what should our call be to the church today? And then what would we call out in terms of symptoms like they did in 1993?
0: So great. I, you know, I, I want to riff off of what you were just sharing. And, you know, I, I wonder at times how we, as a, as a church and I, and I love the church I'm, I'm man, I love the church. (laughs) Like so, so much good comes, but I, from the church, but I, I, I also get hung up on the fact that sometimes, you know, we gather together and we'll read words like from Matthew's gospel, Matthew 25, where, you know, we we read these words. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. You know, and the folks answer, they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And, you know, he says, "When when you did that for the least of these, when you did that for the stranger, you did it for me. You did it for me. Where do you think the disconnect comes from? Is it, is it a distraction thing? Is it a energy thing? Is it a I, I don't know. like where do you think it comes from?
1: Well I think uh, it comes from it's hard work and it's long work. Mm-hmm. And um, it so it's not easy work and sometimes it's fuzzy work. Hmm. And we are people in general that like results quickly. And we put our energy to something and we want to get it done and see it. Yeah. And yet this work, it is, oh, also back to the Sierra Sierra Leone example, Mm. is one that could be a winning work and then revert back to maybe even worse than things were before, and then a rebuilding. And so one has to sort of understand that um, it's hard work and, and part of the calling is to love others so deeply that we are willing to engage that long walk and that long work. And also that we're willing to engage the nature of evil and injustice and oppression. And, you know, sometimes we, we feel oh, I'm not equipped. I have heard people say so many times the church is not equipped. And I am thinking, how is that possible? the God of all things is with the church yeah how can the church not be equipped to be brave in this space?
0: Mm. oh I love that. How can the church not be equipped to be brave in this space right right because we walk with God yeah yeah, so powerful So you know let's let's end on on the good news, let's end on, on something, you know, something tangible. Can you tell us about a time, give us a story where you saw, saw the fruit of doing development work along with systemic work and it just, it clicked it. The transformation was clear. What's that good news story that, that, that keeps you coming back, you know, 30 years is is a significant amount of time to be doing this work. Um, and yet you, you inspire so many people and you lead so well into this arena. And yeah, so there's got to be a, a nugget or a story there. That's just your sort of your anchor point. Can you share that with us?
1: I've had lots of experiences, you know, over the years and working with communities and people all over the world. Mm. Um, there is, however, one, um, I did an evaluation of a program in India. And um, this is in south southern part of India. And that was so fantastic. But first, let me tell you that the story is 10 years long. Hmm. So again, uh, you know, the arc here of what we're talking about is long term, the things that require change take a very long time. But our program there was um, specifically aimed at Dalit people. The Dalit people are also sometimes known as, or were in the past, known as untouchable people. Mm-hmm. And we did timelines during our evaluation with the communities there. We would separate the women, the men, and the children. and Basically asked them to do a map of their history. And it was a lot of fun. We're on the floors with crayons and markers and drawing pictures. It was so interesting to me to hear the story of people say, in the beginning, our mothers and babies were dying because of there were no trained birth attendants. So the primary issue they were facing in the beginning was the death of mothers and children. Mm-hmm. And so our program with the partner there, RDIP was the name of the partner, Uh, Began and that was the entry point right there was uh, trained birth attendants. So that was the beginning. It was a very specific health-related kind of uh, intervention. But uh, as we were working with the communities, we started to see oh, there was a whole lot of other things going on in those communities. There was no water in the communities, and the way that the communities there were um, organized was there would be and or uh, a community of caste people. And then and they would be get they would have a part of the community. And then the Dalit people would be on the outskirts. The Dalit people were not allowed to go and touch the water spigot, or anything related to anything of the caste people. And so in order even to get water, they had to ask someone to help them, of which, you know, it wasn't always true that somebody would actually help Uh them. Uh, They had no land. They were living in very, very uh, humble um, homes. Their children were not allowed to go to school. Um, They were regularly, people received, were um, experiencing violence because there was no consequences if somebody injured a Dalit person, even though the law protected them, but the local law was not uh, actually active. And throughout the ten years of the work that we were doing there with our partner, they engaged the co- communities in these conversations about life, everyday life, and um, the realization of of rights. For example, one of the important things that uh, was shared with the communities were what are your rights, and you you know do you you have the right to go to the police, and you can quote this law and they would give people the actual words of the law, uh, to quote to the police. Mm. They um, organized people into what now would be called savings groups. And at that time, and I think it's probably still true in India, if you were an organized group, you could access government funding to boost your savings and your group. Mm. And so suddenly people started having a way to make some more money. Mm. And then they could buy a little piece of land. And then from that, their housing was improved. And then the community organized some more and they put in their own water system. And they continued to advocate for themselves. And um they got up to the point where they could send their children to school. Again, I'm gonna say that this is a 10-year thing. I'm right. trying to make it short. Yeah. But what was really one of the cool two two very cool things that happened out of that story were. First, remember in the past, a Dalit person could not touch anything related to a caste person. Mm. And uh, after the, and we were doing this evaluation after 10 years, a woman stood up and said, and she's a Dalit woman, she said, this year, I was elected to the school board. <laughs> and you know what it meant to also be on the school board? Mm. You made the lunch for mm. all the children. Now, you know, that may not be a big deal. But that is a huge deal to move from a point in life where your very presence was seen as a contamination to other people to the part where you are fully integrated into the life of, you know, a small school. Then there was another uh, gathering also. Again, you want to ask about what what things opened my eyes up. Hmm. So we were meeting with the community leaders and, you know, they didn't really know really who I was too much. And they also had never heard of the United States or of America. And so they just knew I was from someplace else. And um, I remember one of the community leaders saying to me, so, you know, we have this issue here, we have all this prejudice and this racism against us. Do you have anything like that in your country? Mm. And I said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, you know, we do. And so I gave a few words about that. And then he looked at me and he said, what are you doing about it? <laughs> so, you know, like I, you try to, th- you think, oh, I'm the outsider coming in, you know, the savior of things, whatever it is in development work. You know, that here we are missionaries, the mission coming to you. Yeah. The word comes back to us. Wow. (laughs) I'm just
0: letting that hang there for a minute, Susan. Um, so powerful, so powerful. That's the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. Like to, to nitpick at the beginning, you know, when we were going at the start of our conversation and, you know, someone would ask, you know, what don't we need to preach the gospel first? That's the gospel. I mean, that's good news. That is such good news. Susan, um, I'm so thankful that you took the time to be with us today. Where can people keep up uh, with the work that you're doing? How can people get in you know, connection with you and uh, learn more about uh, who you are and what you do?
1: They can contact me through World Renew. For sure. Uh, and I believe that my email is a public email, svanlopic at worldrenew.net. And um, I don't really, I, it's not like I have any other program. <laughs>
0: Well, we're so thankful that you joined us. Uh, we'll be sure to uh, put World Renew uh, websites, uh, both the Canadian and the U.S. website, in the description of this episode. We'll also make sure to share the link, uh, the links to those reports that you referenced. Um, oh yeah,
1: good. And mm-hmm. and
0: Susan, you know, we ran out of time today, but you'll have to come back and uh, and give us the story of those tattoos, eh? Oh yeah. <laughs> <Right>. yeah sure. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us again, folks uh, listening along with us. Our guest today uh, has been Susan Van Lopik. Uh, She's Director of Program Excellence with World Renew. Thanks so much, Susan. Um, Awesome to be together today.
1: Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks.
0: The Do Justice podcast is produced and edited by World Renew in partnership with the Office of Social Justice and Center for Public Dialogue of the Christian Reformed Church of North America. Our opening theme was written by Quetzalcoatl. Transitions provided by Valentin Sosnitsky. Until next time, remember that the Lord is righteous, He loves justice, and the upright will see His face.